Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schaus. Episode 9, Vasily I and Vasily the Blind. Last week, we told the story of the Russian hero, Dmitry Donskoy, who died at the young age of 39, no doubt due to the many battle scars and because of the stress of trying to throw off the Mongol yoke. This week, we recant the story of Dmitry's son and grandson, Vasily I and second. Vasily I, also known in some texts as Basil, was a brilliant but cautious leader. He continued his father's policy of acquiring land from Moscow, and during his long, stable reign from 1389 to 1425, he was in almost constant conflict with Lithuania and at times with the Golden Horde. Still, he was successful in adding territory to his realm like adding Nizhny Novgorod, not to be confused with Novgorod proper, but he added this city-state to his holdings when the Mongols were off doing other things. He tried grabbing lads, lands from Novgorod itself in 1398, but was repulsed. In 1401 he tried again, but met with the same failure. Moscow at this time developed an ideology, which they believed was a prophecy which revolved around their religion, they believed two things which set them apart from their rival city-states like Novgorod, Peskov, and Tver. They believed that their orthodoxy, their Christianity, was a special chapter in a long, unbroken chain of command, from Rome to Constantinople to Moscow. And the second belief was that they, Moscow, and its rulers were God's chosen bearers of this destiny. To the monastic leaders when Constantinople was alive, and in Christian hands, it was not part of the Christian Empire, it was the Christian Empire. But more on Constantinople later. Six years into Vasily's reign, in what must have been a terrifying sight, a huge Mongol army with the feared Tamerlane at the head invaded Russia. Tamerlane, as he is known to Westerners, or Timur, was a Mongol Khan who wanted to return the tribe to its glory years and was the most feared man on earth. He was marching into Russia, not specifically to conquer the country, but to do battle with his old friend turned enemy, Toktamayich, leader of the Golden Horde. Tamerlane invaded the Golden Horde's lands and burned the, burned the city of Ryazan and headed towards Moscow. Coming within miles of the city, he paused and with the Russian army nearby, he turned around and headed south. As unbeknownst to the Muscovites, Toktomayach renewed his campaign to the south, so Tamerlane took his army of over 100,000 men and started to chase and finally destroy his rival's forces. Falsely thinking that Tamerlane turned away because of their military prowess, Vasily decided against making any future payments to the Horde. This was not going to go as planned. In 1408, the Horde was back, and their armies devastated the countryside surrounding Moscow, reaching the gates of the city. Vasily, fearing a breach of the city's walls, paid off the leader of the Horde in order to allow him to deal with the pesky Lithuanians and the Principality of Tver. Moscow was by now filled with a large number of Orthodox refugees, fleeing from the Turks' march on Constantinople and the crumbling Byzantine Empire. They came from Serbia, Albania, 
Bulgaria, Croatia, Bosnia, and of course, Greece. When they saw the Mongols at their gate, their collective hearts must have pounded out of their chests in fear. Vasily knew this, as for the last years of his reign, Vasily regularly sent gifts to the Khan so as to keep him off his back and to allay the fears of his people. In 1425, Vasily I dies after ruling Moscow for 36 somewhat stable years, and he left his title to his son, Vasily II, who was 10 at the time. Looking back at Vasily I's life and rule, it was marked not by all the achievements he accomplished, like his father, Dmitry Donskoy, but by the fact that he avoided disaster. His son was not quite so lucky. Only ten tender years of age when he was named Grand Prince, Vasily had a council of regents control the lands of Moscow led by his mother and her father, Grand Prince Vitvot of Lithuania. Also included were his uncles Andrei and Peter, as well as future, his future father-in-law, Prince Yaroslav of Sepukov. Missing, though, was his uncle Yuri, who was to be an issue for many years to come. Now, therefore, a contender for the role of Grand Prince was to come forward and initiate the first and only civil war for control of the Principality of Moscow. Prince Yuri, the uncle of Vasily II, who was excluded from the Council of Regents, claimed his right to the title of Grand Prince. For nine years, until his death in 1434, while fighting outside Moscow, Yuri's forces battled with Vasily's. But the death of Yuri was not to end the hostilities, as his two sons, Basil the Squint-Eyes and Dmitry Shemaika, took up their father's claim. In 1436, Vasily captured his cousin Basil, and, as was the custom in treating enemies, instead of killing him, he had him blinded. But this would certainly haunt Vasily in the future. Now, it was at this point that a crisis in the church was to cause great consternation. Metropolitan Fotai had died, and was replaced by the order of the Patriarch of Constantinople with Metropolitan Isidore, who was Greek. The infidel Turks were encroaching on Constantinople, and the Roman Catholic Pope called a meeting to unite all the Christian churches, not as a negotiated union, but under his leadership. Emperor Constantine IX was desperate, and he wanted all the help he could get, even if it meant bowing to the Catholics. Isidore, wanting to save his homeland, agreed to be subservient to the Pope, and went along with the Council of Ferrara, much to the horror of the Russian people. But it was one appalling incident that made the Orthodox recoil from any dealings with the peoples they called the Latins. And this was the abject depravity of the Crusaders who sacked Constantinople in 1204. The rape, murder, and pillage of the city as they were headed to Jerusalem was legendary. So when Isidore returned to Moscow, Vasily and his advisors heard of his agreement with the Catholics, and he was arrested and stripped of his title as Metropolitan. He was then replaced by a council in 1448, where they named Iona, or Jonah, as Metropolitan, who was later made a saint by the church in 1547. Now this marked the Russian church's autocephaly, independence from Constantinople. From then until 1918, the head of the Church of Russia was to be seated in Moscow. Fourteen years of fighting ensued, when in 1448 Vasily 
now blinded himself by Dmitri, he prevailed over Basil. His own blinding occurred while he was temporarily held hostage by Dmitri, and this blinding was obviously in retaliation for the blinding of Basil. Lots of blinding going on back in Russia, it seems. Now, Dmitri was a ruthless claimant to the throne of Moscow. He even took two of Vasily's sons as hostage, which totally outraged the boyars of Moscow and surrounding Russian provinces. The outrage even brought two of the Mongol leader Uleg Mehmet's own sons to the aid of Vasily. So two years later, in 1450, Dmitri was vanquished, with Vasily taking all of his lands. Dmitri, he fled his uh, army, and he went to the fiercely independent Novgorod, where he was eventually poisoned by agents of Vasily. It is now 1452, and for the first time since the Mongols controlled Russia, a period of over 210 years, the Principality of Kasimov, a Mongol province, pledged loyalty to the Grand Prince of Moscow. This was a sign of things to come as the Golden Horde's holdings were quickly disintegrating. The land holdings were splitting up into separate khanates, with the first one being the Crimean Khanate, followed by Kazan and Astrakhan. And it was in 1452 that Moscow finally broke free from the Mongols' yoke, although the formal break was to come in the year 1480 under Vasily's son. But there was a cataclysmic event that was to occur elsewhere that was to shake the world, as in 1453, the one-time jewel of the world, the successor to the Roman Empire, the capital of the long-lasting Byzantine Empire, Constantinople, was to fall to the Turks. Now the Russians were alone, isolated in their religion. Moscow turned inward as it, it is now felt that it needed to take the lead as the successor to the Roman Empire, founded over 2,000 years ago, and its new leader, the new Caesar, is the new Tsar. During this time, with the horde fading away, a new Russian appears. Returning to the fertile steppe, no longer in fear from the marauding Mongols, was a new farmer, a new breed of Russian, a people known as the Cossacks, roughly translated as men of the freelance. They will play numerous roles for and against the Russian rulers of the future. You will definitely be hearing about them in my podcasts. Vasily II continued his fights with the remnants of the Horde, and was even captured and ransomed by Khan Ulu Mehmet. Released after payment of a large sum of tribute, Vasily returned to Moscow, no worse for the wear. His rule was no longer under threat, but Moscow was broken. Its inhabitants were exhausted from the constant threats and devastating invasions. Still, Vasily was able to bring under control cities like Novgorod and Peskov, two areas that had not helped him in his battles against the outsiders. Soon thereafter, both Tver and Ryazan were brought into the circle of dominated areas of Moscow. Many of the policies that were put in place were developed by the Blind Rulers Council, now known as the Duma. At this point, the populace was tired of civil war and retaliations by the Horde, so Vasily's new rules to stop the internal bickering were strongly supported, by the new Metropolitan of the Church, Jonah. As I mentioned before, Metropolitan Jonah was the first head of the Russian Orthodox Church, appointed not by the Patriarch in Constantinople, but by a Council of Russian Bishops. 
No longer was the church beholden to a foreigner. It was to stand on its own. This not only gave it independence, but was to cause further isolationist feelings that was to last for over 200 more years. When Vasily the Blind dies in 1462, Moscow, that backward hick town, once ruled by Prince Daniel, youngest son of Alexander Nevsky, had grown to 15,000 square miles from the mere 500 square miles when Daniel first ruled. Despite the civil war against Uncle Yuri and his sons Dmitri and Basil, there was a continuity of rule unheard of in Russia's young history. From Dmitri Donskoy to his grandson Vasily II, 99 years passed. When Vasily dies, he continued the tradition and handed off the reign of Moscow to his son Ivan, who became Ivan III, but best known to history as Ivan the Great. What Vasily smartly did in making sure the handover was smooth was to make his son co-ruler before his death. This made it much more difficult for anyone to try to play the role of usurper under Ivan's rule. This was also to help Ivan make the changes necessary to solidify Moscow's role as the center of the Russian universe. In recounting Russia's history here, lest you think this was just a tumultuous time in Russia that was unique to them, this was also the same time of the War of the Roses in England, the constant battles between the cities of Italy for supremacy over their lands. Longsworth says in his book about Russia, quote, Indeed, within decades, under Ivan III, they were to develop a more durable political entity in Moscow than the most brilliant Lorenzo de Medici was to build in Florence, and they were to begin to flex their muscles in a wider world. Join me next week for the start of a multi-part podcast of Russia through the life and times of a ruler who will be the first of only three Russian rulers, not counting Vladimir of Kiev, to have the title of the Great fixed after his name by history, along with future Tsars Peter and Catherine. As always, please visit the website, russianrulers.podhoster.com or markshaus.com, leave a message, I really do appreciate the comments so far. Ask a question, make a comment, and as always, das vidanya is spasiba bolshoya.